Hey friends, and welcome to a new episode of Beam Voice. Today, we have the pleasure to talk with Clifton Harness, who is the CEO and co-founder at TestFit. Hello, Clifton. Hi. Very nice, to, very nice to connect this uh, fine morning with you guys. So nice to have you here. I'm really looking forward to, to our chat. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's start this. Uh, can you please introduce yourself with your own words? Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Clifton Harness, uh, co-founder, uh, CEO at TestFit uh, Incorporated. Uh, we're a seed stage startup uh, based out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, United States. Um, we uh, make it easier for architects, real estate developers, uh, general contractors, brokers, uh, lots of different stakeholders to, to solve feasibility studies for buildings. Um, and we uh, probably have democratized generative design more than any other company uh, on the planet, to, to my knowledge. Exciting. Exciting. I'm really looking forward to this. Can you please share your screen and uh, yeah, uh, start your presentation? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. So I, I wanted to focus a little bit on on why, like why we do feasibility, um, as opposed to like the technology itself. I think we kind of get lost in the romanticism of of building really great technology, and sometimes we forget. Um, why we're here. So yeah, there is a full screen window presentation. There we go. Uh, so AEC is dependent upon real estate. Um, real estate is where the rubber meets the road in terms of finance and getting money into our industry. Um, and we believe that processes in real estate are broken. Um, so I'm gonna go through just one cycle of kind of how a site moves around between different groups. Um, and in the top left-hand corner, I've got a touches counter to the number of people touching it, as well as a opportunity cost estimate. So if I'm a land seller and I've got a site, um, I'm gonna hire a broker and that broker then goes on my behalf um, to real estate developers uh, and they say, hey, what can you pay for this site? So that that starts off a flurry of activity within the, within the developer. They've got to look at the market. They've got to understand how they can lease or, or sell the building. Uh, and they've got to figure out how to, how to structure the deal or finance it. Um, and on top of that, they don't have a site plan. They don't really have a product in hand. So they've got to hire an architect. The architect has to make a design uh, to fit that site. Uh, so up to this point, it's all an idea. Um, someone's got to make it real. Uh, so we, we've got to connect with the, the construction industry um, to get pricing. Uh, and the GCs, they're, they're getting way more intelligent in my mind, uh, even in the last five years, it's been incredible. Um, but they've, they've, they've got pre-construction teams that, that dive into this, this site and the design uh, to create pricing. Um, and so you need pricing to understand how expensive the building is so that you can get your financing done. Um, so it's a whole deal, right? There's all the parts need to be there. Uh, and oftentimes the pre-con guys, they have to reach out to subcontractors to get pricing. Um, the pre-construction market is, is pretty opaque in terms of 
pricing. So everybody's kind of firing from the hip. Um, <laughs> and then that, that whole package gets sent, sent back to the developer. Uh, they run a pro forma analysis on it. Oh, and, and then it takes this whole package back up to the investors and, and to the bank. Uh, for for the limited partner money or the debt the debt equity um, in some other countries outside the U.S. you know this this might include government entities that that actually support uh, the the construction of buildings um, but most buildings in the U.S. are are built without government financing um, so that's my context being a, an American uh, so. Top left-hand corner, we've had nine touches, nine different companies. Our opportunity cost for this one deal is at $30,000. This is kind of the hidden fees and expenses of, of building a business um, in AEC. And uh, uh, what about the time? We don't have any idea how long it takes to do all, to, to go through all these uh, processes, right? Back and forth. Yeah, so so at, at your, your first kind of round the trip, uh, takes anywhere from two to two to four weeks. Um, and by the time you're, by the time you're getting the bank's input, you know, you're probably at least at three weeks. Um, some, some firms are, are really on top of this kind of thing. Like they might be getting information from their investors in real time. Um, but other times it's, you know, it's a little bit more choppy. Um, but oftentimes, like once you hit this point, there's going to be feedback on the deal from the money, like the guys that are putting in 90% of the investment. Um, and so they'll say, hey, we, we need to figure out how to get, you know, maybe a little bit more units or we don't really like the design of this thing. Um, and so they send it back to the developer and they say, okay, Proforma needs to improve a little bit. Um, you know, what are the levers that I have? And your biggest lever is actually the building design. I mean, the building design has everything to do with cost. It's, you know, it's the product itself. Um, so we're now on cycle number two, architect, pre-con, back to developer, pro forma, and back up to the investors in the bank. The second cycle takes a little bit less time, maybe a couple of weeks, um, but we're at 14 touches of 50K an uh, opportunity cost. Um, and so on any given deal, uh, all of these different people kind of put their hands on it to give a good idea of whether or not it's going to work or, or, you know, civil engineers might provide advice on, on how to move dirt around uh, the city municipalities, they'll weigh in on uh, some sites, especially if it's, it's in a tax, you know, special tax district uh, in the U S um, and so what we're trying to do is kind of sit at the center of this um, by trying to solve these problems. Uh, but we do it in a way that's different from, you know, any kind of web-based tool. Like we just provide a software package for an architect to use or that a general contract could use or that a real estate developer could use. Um, they're all at different phases of the, of the project lifecycle. Um, it would be great to get them all on the same platform, but they all speak very different languages. Um, and then another concept that uh, the, where we've landed is, is called real-time deal prototyping. Um, and so, uh, this is when you get actually all, all of these different, uh, elements into the same room and you have somebody running the configurator. Um, test fit is a configurator. Uh, it is, you know, you plug in an input and it gives you a very specific output. Uh, you know, uh, 
Tesla has a really cool car configurator on their website. You can pick the make model, you know, number of, of uh, autonomous features that you want in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's made the shopping experience for a car at least enjoyable if you have, you know, $50,000, you know, not very many people have that, but hey, uh, you know, why don't we have configurators for buildings that cost north of $40 million? Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, right now we're just like, we're drawing this stuff on, on, on trace paper, you know, like it's chicken scratch. Um, so this has been, uh, I think this is a deck from, you know, 2017. Um, our, our mission has main, you know, gone relatively unchanged. Um, and I, I can slide into a, like a product demo uh, to give the visuals what I'm talking about. Um, so we fire up our app. So uh, f let me ask you something. Is this a cloud app or it's something uh, standalone? You can install it on your computer in Windows or Mac? Yeah, so TestFit's a, a desktop application. Um, we have a Mac build, we have a Linux build, and then we have a, a Windows build. Um, so we, we build, you know, on all three of those. Um, we have spent a little bit of time working on a, a new initiative called WebAssembly, um, which is essentially to, to bring the power of the desktop to the web. Um, and we, we did a little bit in our, our office beta last year on WebAssembly, um, and it was incredible. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that's probably the future of the web. A lot of people can focusing on cloud compute, edge compute, um, those are useful for some things, but they're not good for, for generating buildings, in my opinion. I understand. But again, my, my perspective is different from everybody else. I mean, we built TestFit from the ground up as a generative design tool, um, and nobody else, at least to my knowledge, has done that for the desktop. Okay, uh, now, because uh, maybe not everybody watching this uh, knows or listening to this knows what a generative design is. Can you please explain in, in very friendly terms what very friendly design? terms? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's say you're a kid going into a candy store, uh, and mom and dad give you one dollar. You know, a dollar to spend. Um, there's a hundred cents in a dollar, uh, and you go in the candy store, and you've got you know, options that are 25 cents and 33 or 35 cents. Um, and you've got a 15 cents, you know, so there, there's lots of different ways that you can cut your dollar up. Uh, but if I'm a kid, I want to end up with 100% of that dollar spent um, when I leave that candy store. So your goal is I want to get all of my money spent and your constraint is that you have to do it in increments of what the candy is being sold for. Um, and so maybe you go through lots of iterations as a kid. Maybe you're not so good at math. Maybe you have to stand in front of the cashier to ask for you know advice on how you should do this. Um, in my opinion, every building design problem is basically like a, like a, a kid, a real estate developer going into a candy store uh, with only a dollar to spend but they're trying to get $10 worth of value out of it. Um, and understandably so. I mean, buildings are the most expensive things that humankind endeavors to build. So, you know, we need to thoughtfully consider how these are, are designed. 
and constructed. Uh, the true essence of generative design is goals versus constraints. Your goal is to spend the whole dollar. Your constraint is, uh, I don't want to end up with five cents at the end of the day. I want it all spent. Um, so TestFit is a generated design tool. Um, it is a constraint environment for generating a design. Uh, it is not uh, in the academic sense generative. Uh, the academic sense of generative is that uh, it emerges out of nowhere from uh, software that is somehow more intelligent than a human. Um, so we don't do that. Uh, TestFit is, is very logically built with procedural algorithms that take into account of a lot of things. Like we design these algorithms ourselves. We don't train a neural net um, to solve the building uh, in a black box. Uh, and it's, it's much easier to control geometry this way. Um, and what we know about buildings is that it is 100% about the geometry. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to, to dive into uh, like a generated design demo. Um, yeah, uh, let me just say that it was very interesting, your uh, analogy or your example with the candy store. It was very interesting. Did you use this before or it was something that just uh, popped out uh, into your mind right now? Uh, that one was a fire from the hip, but I think I like it. I could probably yeah, use it again. It was really cool. <laughs> Maybe I, I simplify like it a little bit, you know. I mean... Uh, it's already simplified, but I could, I could simplify it even more by <laughs> making it a better analogy. But I think a lot of people are, are just, uh, they've seen a lot of marketing about generative design, but haven't seen anything that actually is useful. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I don't see the utility in continuing to call ourselves a generative design tool if the perception of the, of the industry is that it's useless. Yeah, that, that sounds very very uh, right yeah uh okay so constraint environment uh so i'll go ahead and i'll go into i don't know where are you are you in oslo yes we don't we'll go to oslo nor norway norwat yeah. <laughs> yeah um and so we've got uh, a maps integration here uh so you can you can do a, a building anywhere uh on the planet, uh, which was very important for us um, to get a, a maps provider that can do that. Uh, and then uh, you can go to the, um, the roads panel. We've got a little bit of a road solver. Uh, so I'll go to New Urbanist. Um, we'll draw a street maybe. Um, and, and forgive me if I'm drawing over, I don't know, some, some really <laughs> wonderful part of your city. Um, one time I, I, I did a road like right through the Tate uh, in London and someone got offended. So um, <laughs> it's fine. do an avenue. So we're, we're kind of drawing some some roads here. Uh, you know, this is this looks like a train track. So maybe we'll do we'll use an alleyway for a train track. Um, and then we'll do uh, some parkways. So I'm just sort of creating a a story here for a, a grid. I'm, I'm imposing a grid on top of your lovely, very old city. So yeah. please forgive my, forgive my American ways. No problem. You don't need to apologize. Um, and it's also in uh, Imperial. I'll go, I'll go ahead and flip it into metrics. I, I figure most of the, the listeners yeah, yeah. are probably. It yeah. would be easier for me at least to understand. Yeah. 
Awesome. So we've got, you know, 1.3 hectares here, 1.2 hectares. Um, and so uh, what TestBit's doing is it's got, you know, it's just taking a boundary um, and it's it's recognizing that, okay, maybe the, the user wants to put a building inside this, this boundary. Um, so I'll go to the configurator uh, and I'm just going to click on this site right here um, and it will generate a building. Um, it's not a good building. Let me be fair. It's not a good building yet. It is a building. Uh, and so our goal is to generate a building given the user's constraints. Well, the user hasn't really plugged in any constraints yet for the building. Uh, so we just throw in uh, what's called a wrap style building. It was the first algorithm that we developed uh, in 20, maybe 2017. Um, so you know, if I'm in Norway, I'm not building this giant parking garage, uh, most likely uh, style of building, you know. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll change it to a podium fill. Um, and what that does is it drops in a parking structure underneath uh, a, a building. Um, and so if I look at it in 3D, that's kind of what it looks like. Nice. It looks very nice, actually. Yeah, well, it's gener it's generated, so it's uh, you know needs a little bit more love, right? Like there's more things that we can do to make it a better building, um, and namely, uh, you know, I've got this this lovely view uh, out to the water here, uh, and this building's got this giant wall of of mass facing the water. So what can I do to make that a better you know, better view for the people in these buildings. Well, I can go into um, our manual editing mode and then all I have to do is just remove these pieces uh, and then I can go back out of the manual mode, look at it in 3D. And now I've really opened up that edge of the building to, uh, to the views here. So that is to say, like we generated a solution, uh, but uh, you can reach into the solution rather easily and then edit it. Um, another thing that's that's interesting to note, um, at least in, in Norway, you get your city is so far to the north compared to say Dallas, Texas. So actually enabling a shadows tool to kind of see uh, how how bad the sunlighting is going to be uh, over the course of a year. Um, you know, like these these inside corners of the building are not uh, they're not going to get any sunlight. So that'll be a, a design problem for for someone to handle, um, you know, down the road. Um, and, you know, one other thing that I should say uh, is this is uh, IBC compliant building design. So that means, you know, the, the United States will use international building code. Um, we don't use the same sort of building types uh, that you would use in Norway. So uh, in Norway, it's a lot of point block towers, it's essentially a single core that has uh, about four or five units uh, around the core. Uh, and then you have like, that's like one building and then they replicate it a, a ton of times. Um, and so, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's another company out there in Norway doing that style of building. Um, and you guys can can take a look at that uh, their style of, of generative design um, if you would like to have a direct impact on the 
you know, your business today, if you will. Um, but the, yeah, the manual tools, like what I would do is maybe I would make this a, a single load. Uh, so that way I don't have a unit that's not getting any sunlight. Uh, I'll go single here. Um, and then I can back out of manual mode. And then you can see uh, I don't have any units that are that are continuously in shade in this inner pocket anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of a of an explanation on you know IBC buildings versus Europe buildings. Um, they're very different. The nature is very different. Yeah. And also in the U.S., we build a, a insane amount of parking. Uh, I mean, this building right here has a parking garage that has 570 parking stalls in it. I mean. You probably don't need that. <laughs> Most probably, yes. Yes, here they used to have uh, uh, in the underground one parking place for each apartment, like the newer ones. Sure. So uh, the way I can model that is maybe I'll just go one level below grade on the parking garage, zero above grade. And then now we're at 308 stalls with a 1.7 ratio, which is a little bit closer. Um, I also could improve my density on this side a little bit. Maybe I maybe I make these guys a little bit longer. Uh, maybe there's a, a piece of building just sort of sitting here in the middle that's a little bit bigger. Uh, and then you know I've improved my parking ratio a little bit just by adding density back into the building. Yeah. So how how what is the final result you get here? What can you use this documentation for? Is just visual visual or can you do something more with it? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've got a, I've got another, <laughs> another deck here to kind of explain, explain that piece. Um, let's see here, F eleven. Yeah, I didn't open it. Decks. Um, so what I call this is deal information modeling. So there's a lot of people that are, you know, they really like BIM. So what's another acronym? Um, so it's, it's not about getting test fit information into another editing or authoring tool just quite yet, right? We're developers or the mindset of we are a real estate developer or we're an architect or we're prospecting to get a new deal so that we can make more money from this deal, right? So um, five components to real estate deal. Uh, you've got the land. Uh, so we define the land in, in the video uh, near that train station. We've got the building, so we generated the building. You've got the construction. So you've got to go get construction pricing. Um, we you know, didn't do that in our demo. So that's another thing that TestFit is going to be, be doing. Uh, the capital. So uh, what does the deal structure look like? What does performa look like? Uh, and then zoning, the regulations. So we didn't check the zoning in that last, uh, in the in the demo, right? Like we probably violated a lot of zoning laws, um, <laughs> especially in Norway, because we, we built an IBC compliant building, but not a Norwegian compliant building. Um, so each, each one of these requires their own analysis uh, and you know, when you package it all together, I call it a deal information model. Um, and so developers, which are the guys that are typically quarterbacking the whole process, they're, or, they're, they're sort of like the conductor, they're orchestrating it. 
Um, they'll look at 100 deals for selecting one to turn into a project. Like their hit rate is very low. They're looking at a lot of different pieces of land. Um, and our, our goal with, with, with our solution is, is just to make it possible for them to, to get to a 2x. Um, so if they're, if they're looking at twice as many deals, uh, they'll be twice as successful in closing them. Um, and so, you know, the output of this is not so much that we are going to go right into schematic design to craft a building that, you know, needs to get built. Um, it's more a function of we design a lot of buildings in this industry that don't get built. Uh, there's that's very interesting, you know, because I know very little about exactly this part. I'm a civil engineer, you know, and I mostly work on projects that has been already approved and I work on the design part. Right. So mm -hmm. I, that's why it was very interesting from the start, from the get go. The, I, I'm not very well known with uh, all those aspects. So it's, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, it, it's kind of mind opening, I think, for, for some people. Um, I mean, understanding the capital structure, like all of the different moving parts in the deal. Like if, if you think to yourself, okay, the civil engineering, I've got to figure out the grading, I've got to move dirt here, I've got to really plan for how this building can survive the elements from a water standpoint, um, or geotechnical standpoint. So you're doing a lot of analysis. Well, what, what we have to understand in AEC is that the development guys, they're doing the same amount of analysis. It's just a very different kind of analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's financial, it's, it's, you know, draw schedules. It's how do we take a $40 million dollar loan over, over the course of 36 months, uh, break it up into to meaningful chunks that we can then pay, you know, the contractor, subcontractor, uh, to get the building built. Um, and there's, there's an insane amount of planning that goes into that. Uh, and another thing is, is the legal documentation. Like if you're doing a, a mixed use deal, uh, that might have retail, it might have an office building it might have multifamily. Um, you're going to spend more on the legal structure than you do on the architecture because lawyers are very expensive. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces that people don't really see uh, until you're working in a, in a development shop. Yeah. Uh, so architects coming out of school, I always encourage them, hey, go work in development. You'll see, you'll see how the decision, or you'll see why the decisions are made. Um, and, and the why of it is, is really important uh, to understand your, understand your client. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I was fortunate uh, to find a job out of school in development uh, that had me getting deals done. Uh, and it came down to those five things, right? Land, zoning, construction, capital, and design um, every single time. And we were, we were using trace paper and Excel, you know, to like to track all this stuff. And it was a disaster from a, a speed standpoint. I mean, it took us two weeks to do an iteration, right? Like that's unacceptable in a algorithmically, you know, uh, there's, there's an algorithm age arriving. Uh, and if we don't innovate, uh, we're going to be stuck in a world where we're not using data-driven design. Yeah. Um, I don't think we, we will be stuck. We will be replaced by other people that will do it or, <laughs> or some other tools, right?
Yeah, uh, possibly. Uh, one thing that I can say uh, after having built this configurator for you know the last several years, uh, there are different levels of people that can can utilize technology. Um, you know, if you get your head into the game, uh, and if you are, uh, uh, it's kind of it's more of an English thing, but if you're if you're really on it, if you're really into it, right, uh, you can you can sit on top of this configurator as a, as a human designer. And it's a bit like wearing an exoskeleton. Like you're, you're so much more effective uh, at wielding your, your brain power because you can get it out on paper, you know, or on a screen, you know, at a rate that's a thousand, 10,000 times faster uh, of the last technology, which, I mean, even, even SketchUp or, or, you know, Revit planning or, you know, whatever you're using, just looks like an antique compared to this. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and that is valid not only for this kind of tools, for, for everything. Like if you don't use tools to optimize your uh, workflows and to optimize your productivity, you are, you are just living in the past and you are losing every day the opportunity to achieve more. And this is the, ca the case for this as well. Like th this is uh, like, this is the era we live in and we need to take advantage of these, to these tools otherwise like we we become become uh, replaceable very easily and uh, uh, on the other side i ju you just answered me uh, before this uh, when you went uh, with uh, and uh, you told me about the the history behind uh, how you started in development and uh, what was the challenges i would <laughs> i was thinking to ask you what made you to uh, how how did you came up with the idea to uh, to start this uh, startup and uh, to make this tool so i That's guess a great question the pain the pain that you had right there it was it was mm -hmm. more than enough <laughs> well actually it, it wasn't the the frustration of the of the time yeah uh, you know before i started testfit i was a you know i was a, a draftsman basically um and I didn't really know uh, why we were doing what we were doing, right? I was told to do this um, and, you know, I had a little bit of an idea because worked in development, you know, you're kind of talking about deals, right? But, uh, you know, it, it, it turns out we, we got to look at hundreds of sites in order to get, you know, any kind of great set of, of deals put together. Um, and so, when I was doing this professionally, you know, the thing, the, the thing that really hit it for me was I was, I drew a parking uh, facility, you know, big parking garage. And, you know, it's maybe 11 o'clock at night. I just had a 12 hour day. You know, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go home. I want to be home asleep. You know, I'm newly married. Like, why am I drawing this parking garage? Um, so I get it drawn and, you know, the thing with parking garages is like, you have to then count how many parking stalls are in that thing. Uh, so, you know, there's ways to, to speed it up in, in AutoCAD, you know, so you like sort of select all the same and you can get a count. Uh, but that's un unreliable because people will often just copy stuff on top of each other. And so like you have another problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not very easy to do after 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Also humans are really bad at counting things. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, I, I can, I can, uh, uh, double that down. 
because I uh, I used to do sometimes to count the um, reinforcement bars, and it uh. was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. That does not, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would have lost my mind, but, uh, you know, I was sitting there, I had a, I had a piece of paper out, you know, I'm doing tallies, um, and I'm counting things, and, you know, I get the whole stack, the whole thing done, and I put it on my boss's desk, um, and I go home, and, um, you know, come back the next morning, and, you know, he, he redlined the thing, the first thing he got in the morning, and, you know, he said, hey, we got different counts on the parking stalls um and so i you know i'm like roll my eyes i'm like yeah great and, you know this is why well, i'm an idiot um but that's when it kind of hit me is like my boss who was you know 60 years old um in the industry for 25 years you know if not longer maybe 40 years you know from the time they're in school yeah. uh brilliant architect you know but he's still counting parking spaces, you know, for 30 years. So I, I, I just sort of looked at that and I was like, okay, I don't want my chief function of my life to be, I am the guy that counts parking spaces. Um, so that was, that was kind of when I was like, someone needs to do something. Um, but it, it's a gestation process, you know, like, uh, several months later I was, um, in a, in a meeting where, you know, my, my CEO said, okay, can we pull this into, into Google earth so that we can see it? Um, and, uh, we were, you know, 50 people in the conference room looking at a deal or something, you know, like, like, it's like the most expensive meeting ever. Cause you know, there's like, you're spending 10 grand, like just in people's time, uh, executives, analysts, everybody's there. And so we, we get the, we get the model up and running and, um, you know, someone in the, the back of the room comments, like, what if we just made the garage slightly smaller or something, you know, and like, it was a static building. It was like a KMZ file in, in, uh, in Google earth. And, and I'm like, this thing doesn't let you do that. Like also if we wanted to make the garage slightly larger, like the rest of the building would need to get smaller. And so like, it's a cascading effect when you, when you basically, when you manipulate any of these things. Um, so that was another impetus. I'm like, all right, someone's got to figure out a way that we can make this $10,000 meeting, you know, a little bit more fluid by having better technology. Um, and this is in the early days of like go-to meeting, like people used to use go-to meeting. Um, and like our company was like, oh, we're only going to get one go-to meeting license. And I'm like, we have offices, you know, like in Atlanta and, you know, like, like San Diego and Nashville and, you know, we have all these disparate offices uh, and we're only using one go-to meeting license. So like people would be, would be like mad at each other for, for using the go-to meeting link when uh, they like were trying to have a call with somebody. Um, and so we had this other problem that was like, it was a, a disrespect of the value that technology can bring to the process. I mean, a go-to meeting subscription is like 30 bucks a month or something. Uh, and the value that it brings to a big corporation was, you know, every time there was a call was like, you know, maybe 10 grand or something. Um, because you're just, you're in real time communicating like we are right now. 
So if you want to, if you want my opinion on the, the biggest impact of COVID is that people are actually respecting video conferencing. Online meetings, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It's disrupting, it's disrupting email, really. I mean, we used to email someone, but now you just hop on a Zoom and you can screen share and it's, it's incredibly fast. Um, yeah, yeah, I concur to that. Oh my God, you, you, you made me pain. A lot of pain. I, it was, it was hilarious. Everything you just said, and yeah, it's still like the basic stuff that are still way too many in our industry and uh, challenges, right? So, um, yeah, this is uh, like you said, like somebody needs to do this, and you choose to do that yourself. Like I was thinking the same when I started this podcast. There must be a podcast out there where I can listen uh, to these professionals in the AC industry being interviewed by other people and uh i can learn from their experiences and i look for and i look for and i look for and i find some of them that are very focused on some specific tools and uh, repeating the same topics and no i think i have no choice i must um, i must go over uh, everything uh, uh, everything i'm scared about i'm not mm. native english speaker i i have many uh, many many fears i had and yeah I, I just need to start it and see how it goes Jesus, but yeah, it, it, like, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, the, the, the sharing of information is in, incredibly important. Um, and especially as we're going into really two things. Uh, when I was, when I went to uh, uh, Europe last year, I'm sorry, in 2019, late 2019, before the pandemic, um, I went to London, I went to Paris, uh, I went to, to Berlin, I went to Copenhagen, I went to Milmau. Of course, Copenhagen and Milmau are basically the, <laughs> They're different in different countries, but they're basically the same place. Um, and the thing that really hit me was was what the architects and developers and, and, and what they were talking about is a circular economy, um, which is you know much more sustainable uh, yeah. mentality as approach you know we approach economy. Um, and this is y'all you all are maybe 10, 15 years ahead of of the United States in, in, in thinking about that. Um, but if you really want to achieve a circular economy, you have to be incredibly efficient with scarce resources. Um, and another, the second problem is that, that housing, uh, you know, everybody brings up the big graph about urbanization, right? Like, oh, like we're, we're now a more urban than rural planet. Um, you know, how do we house these billions of people within cities, uh, moving forward? And so, there's a need, at least in, in this startup CEO's mind, for, for having technology that, that can take scarcity uh, and provide housing from it. Uh, and so, you know, we built a constraint environment where uh, small parameters can affect the, the yield on cost and efficiency of a building uh, just with a single click. So, uh, I can hop back in actually, and I can, I can demonstrate what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so let's say, let's see, you've got a building like this. Um, our efficiency is, oh, our efficiency is 88.8%. That's pretty good. Or why is it so efficient? <laughs> How did we get there? Oh, I'm sure my corridors are, are not. When it, when it, when it transitions from metric to, uh, uh, to, uh, Imperial, yeah, like our corridors get all, all, all screwed up. So I gotta go back here and see yeah. what's a what's a corridor with not one meter. <laughs> no. 
about two. Okay, so let's say you have a, a two meter corridor width. You know, the efficiency of our building is 83.2%. Uh, and that means that only 16.8% of our building is, is not rentable area. Um, it means that the majority of our building is units, like where people can actually live. Yeah. Um, and so what we wanna do is, is figure out how to squeeze uh, squeeze the building in a way that uh, keeps it a great building, uh, but um, you have you use less materials to build it. Uh, so what we what we do is we can say, okay, we have a slightly narrower corridor, you know, okay, okay we're, we're getting a little bit more efficient, a little bit more efficient, a little bit more efficient. Uh, until a point where, you know, 1.6 meters, is that really a good corridor width? Like it seems a little bit too tight. So maybe you go back. Um, and so, so you just, you just want to be able to model these things in real time. Now uh, we were, you know, back in my development days, um, we we're looking at a deal that had, you know, it was a half million square feet. Um, there was a building efficiency problem uh, and our architect had drawn every single uh, corridor at eight foot. Um, and the reason why he drew every single corridor at eight foot is that's how fire, the fire doors, they come in these packs that are eight feet. And so he, he wanted uh, to just use the fire door pack instead of reconfiguring units uh, to make, so the way that the, the, the detail would be is that you would, you would slightly widen the corridor uh, where you need the fire door pack um, in just a small area. But he didn't want to do that because then now he's got to redraw a bunch of units. He's got to redo a bunch of construction documentation. Um, so we directed him to shrink the corridor from eight foot to six foot. Uh, it took about th three weeks um, for him to make that change. And then by the time that he had made that change, we had lost the, we had lost the deal. Uh, so like another another party had had executed and you know issued a letter of intent to buy a buy, yeah. buy the land, so we lost the deal because we couldn't model fast enough uh, a solution that would actually work, um, and I think that that has impacts on a circular economy. Uh, and the, the, I, I said early on I had two points. I, I kind of had a point A and point half A, but my second point is really. Uh, the globalization of, of our, of our, of our world means that we can have these conversations. Uh, like we can get on a podcast in Norway and we can discuss, uh, design technology. Um, and I can take the ideas of circular economy back to the United States and say, you know, Hey, uh, maybe there's a more sustainable way that we can build that also fits, uh, the capitalistic, uh, ethos of our country. Uh, the way that you achieve sustainability in the United States is not going to be from the government down. That won't work here. Uh, we are too anti-government, uh, especially in states like Texas, Florida, um, you know, these big southern states that have a lot of people and a lot of economy and a lot of power. Uh, the way that you win on sustainability is you have a, you have a better argument. Um, and the best way to look at that is see what Elon Musk has done. Like he has taken the electric car market and actually made something of it. I mean, it was kind of a, a joke until he came along uh, and he did it using capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, head down to, uh, to Elon. Uh, I'm really looking forward to his ne next adventures.
<laughs> whatever it is drilling holes through the center of the planet i mean i don't know like yeah. whatever he wants to do i think people will just pile on because yeah he's the golden child or bitcoin or uh, other ones they, they, he jumped on this as well and uh, yeah made a i'm not so convinced that cryptocurrency um i think uh someone did an analysis of the electricity usage of it and if it became the worldwide economy uh of currency you would require the entire electrical output of the united states to run yeah. uh just bitcoin so well, someone's got to someone's got to maybe improve gpus or something i don't know what the i don't know how we're going to do that yeah yeah but uh, we are uh, like the technology we have and the interest for this kind of uh, uh, technology, I, I think we'll get there in a few years. I, I don't have any doubt about it. Um, what can you tell me about the other co-founders? How many co-founders are, are you for uh, Tesla? Yeah, I've got one co-founder. Uh, his name is Ryan Grieg. He's my CTO. Uh, he was one of my groomsmen. Uh, he was my roommate uh, in college at UT. Um, we lived in a house uh, with 10, there's 10 people, 10 guys, uh, we had six bedrooms. Um, and so if you do the math, uh, two people end up in their own bedroom. Uh, so him and I, we had our own bedroom and uh, we, one day we're, we're kind of like, well, hey, what if we kind of pool our resources? We have like a sleeping room and then we have a study room. And so like, we, <laughs> it's just, you're in college, so you do goofy things like that. So we that's really where our relationship started and, and grew was we were roommates. Um, and then when I got into the professional world that, uh, you know, I'd call him after work and I'd be like, man, software could solve a lot of these problems. Um, and he ended up getting laid off in 2016 from a, a mobile game studio. Uh, and he called me and said, Hey, I, I really like all these problems that, that you're kind of throwing my way. Uh, you know, while I'm looking for another job, you know, can I start to, to solve them? And I was like, yeah, sounds like I get some free work out of this. It's great. Was he a coder, a programmer? Yeah, yeah, he's a software engineer. Oh, yeah, okay, um, okay. You know, he was like the valedictorian of his high school, like 4.0 GPA in college, just absolutely astoundingly intelligent. Um, I'm not, I'm like, you know, <laughs> fun sale, let's go innovate the sort of, you know, you know what they say in uh, like uh, uh, A students uh, go back and teach. Uh, B students are, are really good, you know, kind of productive members of society. And then like C students are the ones that are entrepreneurs because they don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I wasn't really a C student, but I think I felt I fell into that category of, of I wasn't so good at, at school. Uh, but I really love the business world. So we, 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 uh, we matched up pretty, pretty good. Um, and he, he just never found a job, you know, we just, he just started building this thing. That's so nice um, to hear. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Uh, how big is your team now? Uh, so we, uh, at the end of last year, we were three people, uh, Ryan, myself, and, uh, another programmer. And then, we hired uh, Caroline full-time at the beginning of the year. We, we raised a, a $2 million seed round uh, at the very beginning of 2020 with Parkway uh, Venture Capital, uh, who have been excellent partners so far. Uh, and uh, we hired, you know, Caroline's my chief of staff. We hired Matt Kendall's customer success. We hired uh, two more programmers, Ben and Ian. They both work on um, 
you know, anything. <laughs> we have all these things that we're, we're building in R&D. Yeah. Uh, so we've got four engineers now, and then we've got, um, I think, seven other people, maybe eight other people. So we're about 12 uh, right now. Um, so we're going through growing pains. I mean, we've quadrupled our, our head count in less than a year. Uh, but we've also, like, grown exponentially on the uh the revenue side of things so it's it's going it's going well uh especially during a pandemic i can't i can't complain for our business i'm glad to hear that uh, and uh, uh actually the pandemic might have helped that because like we need to be more effective it's more difficult to sit in the same rooms meeting rooms and go to, through things and a tool like this uh with a screen share works like a charm yeah yeah it's it's been it's been good i mean we we're a decentralized company and we were from the very beginning uh ryan was in austin i was in dallas uh you know we'd get on google meet to to discuss things um we <laughs> a lot of our a lot of our early r d was done on steam chat like while we were playing game games with each other like we would just <laughs> talk on steam chat like with our ideas uh we don't have enough time these days to really get into games anymore but um yeah so it starts with learning how to communicate like my advice for for early founders is you need a you need a co-founder that has a skill set that's completely opposite of yours uh which ryan does and then the second piece to success is communication you've got to learn how to communicate with with one another um and that's that's our value uh well Early on, I think that was our value. Now our IP is pretty pretty incredible, but our value was being able to communicate what we needed um, back back and forth with each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, communication is very important in all the aspects of our lives and uh, across uh, the supply chain in uh, in the AAC, right? Like, if you don't have communication, uh, like we we will uh, keep uh, being stuck if you don't uh, talk between uh, each other. Uh, and uh, if you don't uh, share more, like this is the problem in AAC, we don't, uh, we are very protective with the data. People don't really want, want to work together. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a big challenge that um, uh, we're trying, to, uh, we're starting to see some uh, progress here in Norway, but I I it's a big challenge. And yeah, communication is the only way you can get things done in companies, in uh, partnerships, in families as well. Without communication, you, you don't do anything. Like it's a, is nothing you cannot achieve anything yeah it's yeah i mean even now as we've we're like i'm managing more people um that's the that's the core issue is is communication um you know can you say in one sentence what what used to take you uh, uh 30 minutes to say right um and so that's how you pick up efficiency <clears throat> at least in my mind in a, in a company is is being very clear do you use any tool, any project management tool that uh, helps you with uh, staying on top of your tasks? Yeah, we use Trello. Uh, we still are under our, we're, we're in the free plan still. Um, and, you know, we've got a Trello board that goes all the way back to, to 2017, early 2017, that you can go in and you can see the things that we were concerned with back then <laughs> are kind of laughable now, you know, like, <laughs> like, Oh, these lines aren't actually lines. Like there, there's no line drawn here. So you got to figure out how to draw lines on the, on the GUI. Um, you know, colors, we, Hey, can we get colors? We don't have colors yet. 
Oh, like, like being able to, to type in numbers into the GUI, you know, that was something we didn't have. When we launched TestFit, you couldn't actually type anything in. Like it was just a button. So you'd click a button and it, it raised and lowered the, uh, the numbers. Like yeah. that was incredibly rage inducing for our customers who were like, well, I'm trying to go from, from 40 feet to, to 30 feet and I've got to click 10 times to get there. Yeah. Um, I, no, 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 it was even worse because it, it used to increment on the inch. It wouldn't increment on the foot. So they'd like <laughs> hold the button down and wait 30 minutes to get, you know, oh, to yeah, move yeah. the needle. Uh, so yeah, we, we burnt, we burned some bridges in the early days because our, our, our UI, UX, GUI, everything was just so bad. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the growing thing. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to summarize this, uh, what is the, uh, what is the uh, kind of, um, who can use to the best extent your tool? Who you, who you uh, recommend or, uh, yeah, uh, you recommend to try it? Uh, everyone. Uh, I mean, we, we're not watering down the tool. Uh, we've found that real estate developers who can use Excel really, really excellently um, can use TestFit very well. Um, but we haven't dumb it, dumbed it down so much that architects can't really get to the next level of detail. Um, you know, that's something that worries me when I see other generative design companies that they've basically dumbed the building down so much that it's like a box and it's just like generating like boxes and you're like, well, it's not really architecture. Um, you know, architecture is the meaningful creation of space and it's hard to find meaning in just throwing crap at the wall uh, to see what you get. So we, we've got a sort of simple modeling tool, a more complicated modeling tool. Um, and that's for, for really anybody that wants to try it. Um, but really what it comes down to in the early days of, of technology adoption is early adopters. Like, I don't care what industry you come from as long as you're an early adopter and ready, willing, and able to try something new. Uh, so we get that, that demographic from all over the place. I mean, we've got, we've got GCs that use TestFit, general contractors that are using it, um, and they're doing it for pre-con. So, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, lots of people, like in that early graph, you know, lots of people are, are concerned with feasibility. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, how, how it is? How easy it is to uh, to onboard with the tool? Uh, do you have a free trial, or how how can somebody try it? Yeah, so it, it's it's not difficult uh, to get started. Um, I think the whole system's automated. Uh, you know, if you're willing to put a credit card in, is the thing. So we we learned early on that we wanted to qualify people by by asking them to put a credit card in, um, and then you know that's that's like your first step in the funnel. If they're willing to put a credit card in, that means that this is a problem that they think that, that we can help them solve. Um, so uh, you get, I think, a seven-day trial just from putting a credit card in. And, um, and then if you actually go through our, our onboarding process, which is, you know, fill out a form to, to get a one-on-one -on -one demo. And um, then we kind of talk about, you know, what are, what are your business needs and, and what's the use case here? And, and typically that leads to a 30 day free trial. Um, and, you know, pricing is very reasonable. Uh, we don't, we don't price per site. We don't price uh, in a way that uh, takes the cost out of, out of the, the discussion for architects. Um, so, 
you know, the, the average sales price is about 500 bucks a month uh, per user, 500 US dollars per month per user, uh, and which is about $6,000 per year. And that means you're getting unlimited sites, you know, unlimited utility out of it. Um, we've, we do have competition out there that charges per site uh, an insane amount of money that, you know, just is untenable uh, when you're going to the United States, like it, you're going to get laughed out of the room. So um especially that that we're the you know we're the incumbent in the u.s so you got to beat us on price and you're not gonna you're not gonna do it yeah 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 exactly how can people contact you if they have any questions uh twitter uh i'm all over twitter i'm all over linkedin uh social media is excellent in terms of building bridges across across the pond um, also email, you can email Clifton at testfit.io. Um, I used to be really good at responding to emails, but now I get, you know, 300 a day. So you're <laughs> like, you know, you're like, great. Um, uh, yeah, so we're, we're pretty accessible. There's a chat bubble on our website. You can go in and ask questions. Um, it's wired up to our Slack. So everybody in the customer success team, which is about four people is going to get notified. Um, we do operate in the U.S. Uh, hours, so if you're in Europe, uh, reach out to us in the evening. Uh, if you're in Asia, I don't know, reach out to us in the in the early morning, um, mm -hmm. and that you know that's a, a great way to to connect. Awesome! Thank you very much, Clifton, for taking the time and joining me. It was a yeah. blast. I learned Thank a lot you. from this. Yeah, I had a good time. Uh, good questions, and hopefully, we had a good dialogue. I learned a lot, like I said, because this was a very limited uh, area that I knew uh, things about. So yeah, I'm really grateful for this. Awesome. Good luck, yeah. good luck with uh, with Testit uh, to to get it where you uh, you hope to get it. The future the future is bright. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Uh, every day uh, we get better and better. So that's the goal. I have no doubt because it, it delivers uh, real value and it's, it's just uh, a matter of time until people, uh, more people realize that and try to use it. Absolutely, yeah.